I'm Lillian Vasquez with Lifestyles on KVCR. Thanks for listening. This week for Native American Heritage Month, we're pulling from our archives. Last week, we talked about the new children's series Spirit Rangers on Netflix. But this week, we're talking about our PBS children's series, Molly of Denali, on KVCR-TV, airing weekdays at 1 p.m. Season 3 of Molly of Denali premiered this week, and with it, the introduction of 23-minute digital shorts, which airs after the PBS Kids program, Alma's Way. Molly of Denali is the story of a 10-year-old Alaska native who goes on fun adventures with her friends in the beautiful state of Alaska. Today I'll speak with Rochelle Adams, a member of the Alaska Native Working Group that has played an integral part of the series. Rochelle shares some of the lessons the series teaches and how the show stays true to Native culture and why the character Molly is important to children. When I spoke to Rochelle, she was in the Alaskan wilderness where there wasn't strong cell service, so our connection was challenging. Also on the show, I'll speak with urologist Dr. Howard Aubert about warning signs, risk factors, and treatment for prostate cancer. Prostate cancer is the second most common cancer in American men behind skin cancer, but Dr. Aubert explains how it can be very treatable with early detection. But up first, it's my conversation with Rochelle Adams. Welcome. It's so nice to have you join us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. So Molly of Denali debuted on PBS stations in July 2019, and the show has been recognized with a 2020 Peabody Award. Rochelle, I'm wondering if you could talk to me a little bit about the lead character, Molly, and I'm wondering if you see a little of yourself in Molly. Yeah, absolutely. When I think of Molly, I reflect back to, you know, a few years ago when it was just a group of advisors sitting around a table talking about the concept and what we wanted to put into the show. And we really wanted to, you know, to really share our culture in a truly authentic way. And we wanted to put, you know, all of that, all of that love and the values that we have so strongly in our cultures and to finally see Molly on the big screen it really felt like a member of our family was coming home and so I feel really connected to her and to me she's like a reflection of you know myself and my family and my community I'm just really happy to see these things portrayed in in such a large platform you know and be able to educate people and across the world I see a lot of myself, you know, as a young girl growing up in the village. It makes me really proud to see that. There's many things that I see, and uh, many people connect with her, especially uh, children out in uh, the rural communities. It's really exciting. Well, she is a very fun and lovable character. Why is this character so important, not just to Native children, but to all children? Well, Molly portrays, you know so many characteristics that people can connect with. I mean, she's she's young and feisty. She loves learning, and she loves connecting with her environment. And she's a really important part of her community. And we think it's super important that, you know, that we celebrate that diversity, and it's very inclusive. And the cultural values that, you know, she lives by are really universal. I think that's what What's so great about Molly is that she connects everyone and there's a place for everyone in her community. So I want to talk about some of the lessons the series shares or teaches. 
Can we talk about and also talk about the characters? Molly's best buddy uh, is Tui and her grandfather, who has a good sense of humor. Yeah, there's a lot of diversity in her community, like I was saying, of Kaya. And it's really interesting that she lives at a trading post. So she's able to have many visitors, you know, coming into her village and also stopping by the trading post. And there's a lot of different cultures represented there. And we really wanted to give, you know, a good idea of the whole state and all of the different, you know, indigenous people that are represented in Alaska. And it's really important because there's so many stereotypes of Alaska. I mean, you know, people think that we're basically Eskimos that live in igloos. And it's really such an amazing platform to be able to educate people about, you know, our diversity, all of the 20 different distinct Alaska Native cultures. And they're really well represented in her community. And you'll see that you know, spoken in the languages and all the cultures and ways of life that are represented there. What are your thoughts about the grandfather? I think he's so friendly and inviting that you want to learn from him as well. (laughs) Yeah. Grandpa's great. You know, actually, Grandpa really reminds me of one of the other Alaska Native cultural advisors. And if you have seen the episode called Grandpa's Drum, you've really developed this real connection with the character Grandpa. If you see that episode, it was actually Luke Titus, one of the other cultural advisors. It was his personal story that he had shared with us. Oh, nice. About boarding school and, you know, reclaiming his traditional ways, such as singing and drumming. And he teaches in such a, you know, in such a way with such love and such respect that, you know, he really portrays that, like, that elder, you know, and yes. and to us in our Native communities, I mean, the elders are really the very precious, respected people. And so he comes across, you know, as truly an authentic elder. I'm really grateful to work with Luke Titus. I feel that love, you know, when I see the grandpa character. Yes. I feel his love. I feel his knowledge. And I like his humor. You know, I think that he, he's funny as well and yeah. adds a, a bit of humor to the show as well. Um, yeah, humor, you know, it's one of our really great traditional values. I mean, we incorporate humor into a lot of things and it makes things fun. And sometimes it makes it easy to talk about tough issues. And I think Grandpa really does that well. Yeah, I agree. Now, all the voices are Native, Indigenous people that are doing the characters? Yeah, all of the characters that are Indigenous are played by Indigenous people. Nice. I'm really so proud to be a part of this whole, you know, production because there's Indigenous people involved at every level. And I think that's why it's so groundbreaking, that it's truly authentic and that, you know, we have we have a part of all of those roles and that, you know, it's something that we can truly stand behind and say that it is authentic you know, that we're controlling that narrative and that, you know, we're telling our own stories. Let me reintroduce our guest is Rochelle Adams, and we're talking about the PBS Kids series Molly of Denali. She's a member of the Alaska Native Working Group that is part of the team working on this children's series. What is your part in serving on this production? What are you watching for? Maybe is it the accuracy of Alaska Native as it pertains to culture, language, or traditions? What are you doing as part of this? Yeah, so I am a 
Alaska Native Cultural Advisor, and I've actually been on board since the very early stages. And I, I'm a group of four. There's myself, another person, Dewey Hoffman. We're younger, and then there's two elders, Adeline Peter Rayboff and Luke Titus. So the four of us, we got together very early on, and we sat down, and we really, you know, kind of mapped out what the whole... What, what Molly was going to look like and her family. So we were a part of that co-creation of the whole foundation of the story. And so what that looks like today is that we advise on all of the scripts as they develop into those stories, and that being like looking at the animation, giving feedback on authenticity and, you know, the ways that we do things in Alaska and making sure that things are true and authentic to our, you know, how we really um, live our lives here. And so we continuously give that feedback on all levels. And then we also help with the educational outreach and uh, the games and working on the books that come out. So mm. we really have our hands in everything that, everything Molly. And so... <laughs> It's great. You know, I've, I've really learned a lot, and um, I'm just really proud to be able to share my culture and share the beauty of Alaska with the rest of the world. And it's been amazing, you know, working with the other advisors and also the other indigenous people on this production. You know, the story writers and the, there's indigenous producers, even the opening song, you know, that's by an indigenous group as well. There's uh, fiddle music in there, and it's just there's so many people involved, you know, and I always like to say that we're like a family now. You can really feel that love that we put into the work. You really feel that coming through, and I think that it's the way that we work together that makes it successful. Well, I know just watching the series, a few that I watch, the series really is an educational learning opportunity about Natives and Indigenous people, and it creates a friendly and inviting way to learn about other cultures. I'm over 50 and I'm still learning, and so I know our little ones can learn from this as well. I'm wondering if you'll tell me a little bit about your childhood growing up in Alaska. Yeah, well, I'm actually talking to you from my childhood home in my village of Beaver, and Mm. it's along the Yukon River, up in the interior of Alaska. It's really beautiful. Right now is our moose hunting season, so we've been out looking around with my family. I say looking around because that's part of our tradition is that we don't, you know, we don't talk directly about what we're doing during the season to offend the animal. Hmm. And so I grew up, you know, following the traditional seasons and cycles of our hunting and fishing and gathering. And we just got out of the salmon fishing season where we use our fish wheels. You'll also see that in one of the episodes called King Run, which I personally help advise on really closely. And you'll also see that in a fishing game. I also grew up beading and doing our traditional arts. You'll also see that in there's a beading game and other games that we created. And they really, they really have a lot of pieces of you know me and my life, my childhood, and what I learned from my family and my community, and that I'm really fortunate enough to, you know, pass on. And I teach this to my children, too. You know, I can't say enough how much I'm so grateful to be from where I'm from and to have, you know, grown up in such a way to be truly connected to our lands and waters. 
environment and to live this lifestyle that my ancestors lived. And it feels like a way to honor them and to continue that. And in some ways, it's kind of walking in two worlds, mm-hmm. you know, uh, living this life in the village and being so connected to everything and then living in the city, you know, it's kind of a balance. I think a lot of our indigenous people, you know, we, we're familiar with that balance, living those different lives. But, you know, something that I do is I always take, you know, who I am, I always take that with me wherever I go, whether it's in the city and in a meeting or wherever I may be or in, in school. I hold on to who I am and I, I carry those values with me and and I'm proud of that. And I do that also with the show, too. I try to represent as well as I can. And to me, it's not just something for me to be proud of. It's something that all Indigenous people can celebrate because to me it's a reflection of our culture and the beauty of our people and, you know, the way that we live, our connections to lands and waters. I try to, you know, to share the joy and the, the excitement and all of that with all of our people and everyone who loves to watch this show and just really hope that people can be educated and find that commonality, you know, that we're all connected somehow. Absolutely. You're listening to Lifestyles on KVCR. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, I'll continue my conversation with member Alaska Native Working Group, Rochelle Adams. I'm Lillian Vasquez. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Hey, everyone, it's me, Molly. Molly. Snowshoe, she is ready to explore. From Captoga down to Juno, always wanting to learn more. Yeah. Together with her best friend, to be always by her side. And training. Discovering the outdoors on adventures day and night. Come along with Wally. just joining us, my guest is Rochelle Adams. She's a member of the Alaska Native Working Group. This group plays an important part of the PBS Kids series, Molly of Denali. So you live in both Anchorage and Beaver, Alaska, with your three children. I want to ask you, what did your children think of the show and their mom being a part of it? They really loved it. You know, they they get to watch me working on these things, and I talk about it with them, and they they see me editing, you know, giving feedback, mm. and I tell them about story concepts, so they really get to see the whole process, you know, from our perspective. My children are getting a little older now, you know, where my youngest is uh, a junior okay. in high school, and my other two have uh, graduated oh. high school. and Yeah, so they're a little older to see this. They're really happy that their younger cousins can grow up in a world where this is, you know, this is normal and this is what they see on TV. They feel that pride with me and they know that 
I've done the work and put all of those good, you know, intentions in and to be truly authentic. And when they see that, they see a representation of our lives here. And I, I know that they're very proud. And I know that the rest of my family is also very proud. And I'm sure. It's such an honor. I, I can feel like I make the ancestors happy. And to me, that's a very good compliment because I know that I make the elders happy too. We had a screening in many of our communities and we've just gotten so much feedback. It's it's really amazing. When the project was first conceived and being explored, did you ever think it would make it to PBS? Um, I actually did not have any doubts. Oh, you know, I, good. Yeah, I didn't have any doubts. It just it seemed so amazing. And, you know, as soon as I got asked to be a part of it, I was just very excited. And to feel that, you know... I mentioned sitting down with the advisors a few years ago. It was 2016, and we were talking about, you know, laying all that framework down. We had some really deep cultural conversations, and I I was learning a lot from the elders, too. Mm. All of that love, you know, I keep I keep referring back to it, but it's really, really amazing, and you can really feel that what's put into this work. And so with that, I, I had you know, a lot of confidence that it would be successful. Nice. Our guest is Rochelle Adams, and we're talking about the PBS Kids series, Molly of Denali. She's a member of the Alaskan Native Working Group and is part of the team working on this series. Now, when you're not working on Molly of Denali, you're also a Native linguist, a cultural educator, and a freelance artist. What type of art do you enjoy creating? My art medium, it kind of changes, you know, as an artist, sometimes you use different mediums, but I really like to use my traditional Athabascan materials and tools, but I also have kind of a unique heritage coming from the village of Beaver. Our village was founded by Japanese Anupiat explorers, and I'm saying this because that's a part of my culture as well, and so I, I combine my heritages and the designs and concepts of all of these cultures to make my art. So what I like to do is I do beadwork, which is a lot of skin sewing on tanned moose hide, and I do um, salmon skin tanning and uh, beadwork from with that. And I also do like woodcut prints, and I do a lot of um, language education in my work, and so. It's a lot of fun, you know, it's a way for me to continue learning about my culture and um, continue art forms and to share that. I'm also an educator, so I use art to teach our language. Art seems a a good way for young and all to learn from and be be engaged with. What tribe are you associated with? What tribe are you from? I am Gwich'in Athabaskan. Um, But I also am, you know, other cultures, like I mentioned. I was raised in a Gwich'in community in Beaver and Fort Yukon, where my parents are from. Mm. But I'm also uh, Anupiat, Koyukon, uh, Japanese, and Swedish. Wow. So I'm a a pretty unique blend of (laughs) a lot of cultures. and, uh, And we have this really amazing history, you know, of my grandfathers and our grandmothers and, you know, coming in from... Sweden and Japan and from Barrow and, you know, and are in the um, indigenous Gwich'in uh, and Khoikon Athabascans that lived here in the area already. So it's really interesting. And 
I learned a lot through my dad has a tourism business for maybe the last like 30 years or so um, before he passed away and we had developed a lot of relationships with Japan and all of the founders of our village you know had been honored and we developed a sister city relationship with our village with Ishinomaki Prefecture in Japan so there's a lot of education happening and you know with my family too so sharing about our culture you know with with the world is something that I learned from from my dad. Our guest has been Rochelle Adams. Rochelle, thank you so much for your time and sharing more about your culture, your state, and Molly of Denali. Yes, Masi Cho, thank you so much for having me today. Molly of Denali can be seen on PBS stations nationwide and locally on KVCR-TV weekday afternoons at 1 p.m. on Channel 24. To learn more about Molly of Denali, visit our website at kvcrnews.org slash lifestyles and click on today's show. She's Molly of Denali. Come on! Let's go! Molly of Denali. She's Molly of Denali. My guest now is urologist Dr. Howard Obear. He shares important information about warning signs, early detection, and treatment for prostate cancer. As we talk about prostate cancer, what age should men really start to pay attention and are there warning signs to be aware of? The ages that most men should start to pay attention uh, is in the mid-40s for the youngest and kind of in the 50s. And the reason there's a difference is that some men have a higher risk of prostate cancer. And those are going to be men who are African-American or men who have a family history of prostate cancer. And those guys should start getting checked at about 40 to 45, depending on their anxiety levels. And then, in general, guys who don't have a family history or who are not African-American, they can start getting their PSAs, prostate cancer screenings, at age 50. Okay, very good. So I was going to ask about if there's a difference in ethnicity or if one group is affected uh, more commonly, and you've indicated that African-American men are affected more. Do we know why this is? Uh, there doesn't seem to be a specific reason. We just know that African-American men tend to get prostate cancer at a younger age, and they also tend to get a more aggressive type of prostate cancer uh, than others. Hmm. Okay. And what are the maybe the preventions and or treatments as we think about prostate cancer? Well, we know that some of the things that can put you at higher risk for mm-hmm. prostate cancer uh, include having a very high-fat diet. There's some research that says having very low or deficient vitamin D levels can also put you at higher risk. Some of the things that you can do to try and prevent it is to you know, have a healthier lifestyle, eat a balanced diet, and exercise regularly. So those sound like they're just maybe good advice in general. And do we know that that plays a specific part with prostate cancer? We can't say that it plays a specific part, but we have seen that gentlemen who do take better care of themselves tend to have lower risk. Hmm. Is there maybe your greatest takeaway, what you really want listeners or people to understand about prostate cancer? You want to get checked early, and you want to know where your baseline is. Prostate cancer is one of these things where For a long time, we were treating a lot of early onset prostate cancer. And then for a while, 
we decided not to treat early onset prostate cancer. And, and now we're treating and finding higher grade prostate cancers. Mm. So my takeaway is probably the most important thing is for guys to get a baseline check, see where you are, and then routinely have follow-ups to see if there's any changes. You know, prostate cancer is one of those things where as long as you catch it ahead of time, mm. you have a very good chance of getting it treated and getting it cured. But if you don't have a baseline and if you don't get it checked regularly, if you do get it at a high stage or a high aggression, mm -hmm. it's much more difficult to treat and it's much more difficult to cure. Got it. Okay, so let me just ask a couple of things based on your answer. Now, do men go or are men bad about going to the doctor, which I'm going to say they are living in my with my husband, but annual physicals, is that something that's done with an annual physical? It is usually done with an annual physical and annual blood work. But in general, men are pretty terrible about going <laughs> to the physician yeah. uh, unless something is grossly abnormal. Mm. Um, I think it's very unusual for guys to just be feeling okay and go get a standard, what we call baseline protocol. And that's probably, again, what we're, we're trying to encourage people is you don't want to always wait until things are falling apart sure. to get evaluated. Right. You want to have a good baseline and, and a regular routine checkup so that you can know how your body's changing. Okay. And sometimes people don't always pay attention to the clues or the signs that are in front of them. And what you just called grossly abnormal, what would be grossly abnormal that you're really hitting them in the head that says something's going on, you need to go get checked out? Well, some of the grossly abnormal signs of prostate cancer would include blood in the urine, severe back pain, a lot of difficulty voiding or being unable to urinate at all. But when you get those symptoms, that means the prostate cancer is pretty well progressed. Got it. Okay. I'm wondering, as we talk to our listeners, that we talk to the women as well, because maybe women can be influential in the men in their life? That's probably the most important thing. I would say 80 to 90% of my patients come in because their wives have encouraged them or forced them to come in <laughs> would be a more appropriate term. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard that once or twice before because my wife made me. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, people's wives want their husbands to be around. And, you know, they'll make them go to the physician when they don't want to on their own. Yeah, I get it. Thank you so much for your time and for your information regarding prostate cancer. Thank you. To learn more about prostate cancer and men's health, visit our website at kvcrnews.org lifestyles and click on today's show. If you have a segment idea, share it with us. We'd love to hear what you're thinking. Go to kvcrnews.org lifestyles and click on the link to share your story idea. That's our show for this week. To hear any of our past shows, visit our website at kvcrnews.org lifestyles. You can also listen to Lifestyles on your favorite streaming service. Search for Lifestyles with Lillian Vasquez and take the show on the go. Lifestyles is on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us at 919lifestyles and search for Lifestyles with Lillian on Instagram. Or go to kvcrnews.org lifestyles and click on the social media icons at the top of the page. Thanks to all who helped to make this show possible, including Sharina Wad, David Fleming, Sean Houlihan, Natasha Coles, and our executive producer, Rick Dulock. Our theme music is provided by Ethan Bortnick. Join me next week at the same time for Lifestyles with me, Lillian Vasquez. Bye for now.
the 